right. Well, uh, Reverend Lorenz Labrija, thank you so much for joining us for a brief conversation on uh, your video, the what will the church look like in 10 years? Um, for those of you who don't know Reverend Labrija, he is the executive director of TriTank, an experimental laboratory for church growth and innovation uh, that was founded in 2019. Is that yep. right? 2019, yeah, right. Uh, an inventive uh, new approach and project between Virginia Theological Seminary and General Theological Seminary. Uh, you know, part of this effort is trying to understand where new church models, uh, business models, and technology can meet the needs of today's church. Uh, so, Lorenzo, thank you for joining us for this conversation and uh, looking oh, my forward pleasure. to it. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't be with you in person in South Bend. That would have been nice. <laughs> Although I, I don't have enough winter, winter clothing to, to wear to there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, this may be an issue, but uh, hopefully uh, you can join us uh, during the months of June through August someday. I'd uh, love what? to. Yeah, that, that sounds better. <laughs> much better. <laughs> So uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna focus pretty uh, you know narrowly here because Tritank does so much work uh, on uh, on so many of these questions about technology in the church. But in October of just last year, 2022, uh, you published uh, this video. What will the church look like in 10 years? And uh, you know what I find kind of amazing now was this was before ChatGPT and other large language models had come out. Uh, in about December, December 2022 on. Uh, but, it, you know, it really, for me, and I think a lot of people evoked a response, it, 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 you know, sometimes a, a strong <laughs> response, uh, but it, that you started a conversation uh, for which uh, I'm grateful. I guess before we talk about some of the uh, the things within the video, I'm wondering what has been the response to the video from from your viewpoint and maybe a, a word about just what, what inspired making this video. Yeah, uh, thanks, Stephen. Thank you for having me on. And uh, it's it's uh, it, 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 we set up and we said we're real clear, right? These are possible scenarios for the future. And all we want to do is spark a conversation so that the church is not always caught behind. We always seem to be the ones catching up to technology. Ooh, television, let's catch up. Ooh, radio, you know, we're always the ones sort of coming up later. And we're like, certainly with the internet, we were caught off guard and certainly being digital and putting our services on online. It wasn't until the pandemic that we all sort of, so it's like, is there an opportunity for us to think ahead, do what's called strategic foresight, where we're looking ahead in order to try to think future back? And it's like, okay, if this is the future we want, can we do it? Can we get, how do we bring ourselves to it? How do we go away from something we may not want? And so it was meant to spark a conversation and did it ever. Uh, what's interesting is uh, there were a lot of comments. There were a lot of personal comments like, oh, yeah, did you have to go there? You know, I have, I have gray hair. So what, you know, that, that doesn't mean that I don't love Jesus and I don't love the church. So, uh, but what was interesting, I'll give you just an example. I, I pulled it up here. The, I was I happened to be about to speak at the convocation of Episcopal churches in Europe when my boss sends me a text. It's like, you need to see this. This was last October. And I'm like, oh, sure. And uh, I look it up and it's from the American Conservative magazine. And the headline literally is how to kill a church. I'm like, well, well, there's there's one review of it. <laughs> the argument in the whole thing is, I think, a little bit erroneous and, and the logic doesn't quite flow. But, you know, it's good. It's good that we have people, I, I think we have some people that are like, yes, we need to lean into it. And we have some people that are like, no, God, please don't, don't do that. You know, that's just wrong. 
And I think both are healthy and a good conversation because if it if the church was being run solely by Lorenzo and only Lorenzo, then we might go so fast that we're not pastoral along the way that we don't think about what these changes could mean. And I remember when I first started this job, people told me, "Oh, it's kind of like you're you're in Silicon Valley, right? You break things and you you make new ones." It's like, ah, uh, yeah, but no, because we have a two thousand year old tradition that we're bringing along with us that has amazing, beautiful things. And so when we're bringing that along, it would be easy for, you know, one little guy running an experimental laboratory to all of a sudden be like, yay, let's do this and change the world and make it all different. And only think about that, but we need to be centered on our tradition. So I think both are, are good in a, in a healthy discussion. And I think that's what we saw on there. Again, the, the personal comments we could have done without and be maybe a little more charitable with ourselves uh, since we're the church. But that notwithstanding, I think we are having that conversation, and that's the important part. Yeah, well, I'm grateful for one for for you starting it, and naturally, with just the rapidly changing landscape, there are questions, uh, so many questions out there, and and the church is such a, a personal important thing for so many people that I guess uh, such a strong response uh, maybe makes sense, but I appreciate your perspective on uh, on navigating all of those conversation partners. Um, you know, I'll start at the end of the video, actually, uh, where you highlight how the tools of technology can run parallel to our beautiful traditions within the Episcopal Church yeah. to faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ even more expansively. Uh, you know, so, so you know, from the get-go, the framework is within uh, tradition uh, while also looking towards the future and uh, more expansively telling the good news, which is uh, in the Episcopal Church, one of our baptismal uh, covenant questions. Um, yeah. So I, I guess you will we'll dive in now to the three or maybe four potential trends. I might have got a fourth in there, but... Uh, <laughs> Yay, tell me what that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, three of the potential trends you see in the future are a distributed church, yeah. where there will be church, but won't always be in one building, many places, uh, and occasionally gather together. Uh, number two, do-it-yourself spirituality. Uh, where people will use a variety of technologies and written resources, uh, maybe app or um, to gain more access to, uh, you know, things like queer theology, liberation theology, environmental theology, so many different ways to integrate these into our own spiritual practice and, and really making theology accessible, which uh, I think is a wonderful uh, and important thing. And then uh, third is the blended reality experiences. Uh, we'll have the ability to make uh, church services and even formation programming uh, more immersive and sensory rich, uh, which yeah. I think is really, really intriguing and exciting uh, personally. And then the fourth I wondered if I caught in there was sort of uh, artificial intelligence, you know, which you, <laughs> you, you added to the blended reality. But, you know, especially with the large language models and, you know, that rapidly uh, occurring conversation, I felt like. Uh, maybe there's some more things to say there, but, um, you know, maybe I'll just before we dive in, how was it formulating these particular three or four, you know, was it, did it seem like it was a natural, um, organic, you know, selection, or maybe talk me through the process of these three, three different areas. 
Yeah, sure. Um, what we do, right? So when you're, we're, and let me, I'm going to, Stephen, I'm going to train you as a futurist real quick here. This is this is what you need to do. You need to look for what are first called drivers of change. And a driver, think of it, I, I'm a storyteller, so I'm a, I'm a preacher by heart, right? So think of it as a wave, right? When there's a wave that's big enough, right? If you're out in the ocean and you see a wave that's big enough, that's going to move a whole bunch of things, that's what we call in, in the futurist world, a, a this is this driver of change, right? This wave is big enough that it's going to impact a lot, right? Whether you're on the beach, it's going to hit there. Whether you're on a boat, it's going to hit there. It's just going to have this impact. And then within these drivers of change, what we look for, so you can even call drivers of change like big trends, right? It could be a, a huge demographic shift. It could be uh, a new technology that we were just talking about, right? Generative IT, I, uh, AI rather. And so when you see this wave coming, every once in a while, you'll see a surfer on the wave, right? Someone has caught the wave. And that's what we call a signal of change, right? This is a signal of something that's coming. And so I'll give you a, a really clear example. If you imagine a wave back in the late 90s, well, you probably won't, but I do remember the late 90s, right? When you remember a wave back then, and if you saw this huge wave called the internet, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. This thing, AOL and all these things. But within the wave, there was this little surfer called Amazon.com. You're like, oh, I can buy my books now. I don't have to go to... There were other bookstores beyond even like Barnes and Noble for the record. There was like Walden Books and uh, Books a Million and all these others, right? Some of them are still around. And you're like, I can buy my books now from this little website. If you start thinking like, huh, and then you maybe saw pets.com and you could buy pet food. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I can buy pet food now. And then you start seeing, so these are little surfers. You're like, and that's what I talk about the extrapolation in the video is like, if these things are happening now, what happens if it catches on? What happens if you go forward and say, now, what else could I buy online? Could it, someday I buy my plane tickets online, right? Hello, travel world. Uh, all of these things. And that's when you start to have creative scenarios of the future. So that's what we did. All of these, uh, the, the three scenarios that we, that we pointed out, all of them have actual signals of the future. I have all the articles uh, that I saw. Uh, when, when we were talking, for example, the blended reality experiences, there's an article that appeared... I think it was in Forbes or something like that. There was, but there's this woman who started to create a robo rabbi. And she's like, I wanted to have the knowledge of Judaism, but I wanted to be like on a computer. And I'm like, huh, well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? What happens if that takes off? What happens as technology gets better and it's able to, to read you a little bit more, know you really well, and then it knows everything's like, okay. And then you add a couple of, right, generative AI, all of a sudden it's like able to have a good conversation with you that you don't even notice that it's not. All of these things you're like, well, I could totally see a future where I am in this sort of world and I'm having a conversation with it's a it's a robot, but it looks and feels human to me. And so that's so that's how we extrapolate, right? The when it comes to the distributed church, we're most people when they see that part, they're like, oh, you're talking about small groups. And it's like, no, what I make I try to make a point of in the video is that these are not extensions of the church. This is church for people. Mm -hmm. And we're where they I think the real opportunity for us as churches to train lay leaders to really be good group leaders, if you will, of these, these little micro churches. But then how do we create mountaintop experiences where people want to gather and come together so that you're not just little boats out and about and we have thousands of little boats, but what we want is to still be part of something bigger, right? We still want to be part of this thing called the Episcopal Church 
in the year 2050, 2060, 2100, right? What does it look like to bring us all back together to have these events? I think Bishop Curry has been doing a great example with the revivals that he's done. I, I did some some research into, I don't know if you're familiar with Burning Man. It's mm. this thing out in the desert and they go, they create a whole community. And then 70% of the people who go to Burning Man each year are returning to Burning Man. And you're like, what the, why, why would you do that, right? You do it one time, you don't bathe and wash for a week. Uh, how, how could that, you possibly ever want to do that uh, uh, by choice again, right? It's like, then they go back and you ask them and it's like, because I think something transformational is going to happen that week. So what if we have all these little groups and then when we come together to these mountaintop experiences, that's what Burning Man is. When people come, it's like, I'm expecting when we all gather together, that's something magical, something transformational. When the Holy Spirit will really be felt, that's an opportunity for us as church. So in all of these, I think we we saw parts that are already there, right? We, we, we're doing experiments with Episcopal groups in nature. We're doing experiments with uh, small groups in colleges. We're, so we're, we're, we're already working in that. All of that, though, is it's easy to see that if you just keep going a little bit further, there's the future. So remember, look for drivers for change and then signals of change. You're now a futurist, Stephen. Congratulations. <laughs> well, uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about what that means. And, and I'll be, you know, that analogy is probably looking for the surfers as well. Um, and, and by the way, in the late 90s, I happened to be living in Florida. So there was potential for uh, for, for surfing, but um, I'm not sure if I can get up <laughs> on a surfboard just yet. So, um, so maybe let's hop into distributed church for a moment. Um, you know, a question that I have got about, you know, this, this idea of, you know, church being, you know, not just in one building, being in many different places, and there'll be occasional times you get together is, you know, a church building has been an important part of uh, Christianity for, you know, some time. Uh, we find, you know, physical spaces, physical objects and sacraments to be, you know, an important part of our tradition. So I guess, you know, the question that I'm hearing a bit of is within this future world when we might not meet in a church, uh, you know, what's what's sort of the view of uh, material spaces and the importance of a physical building and, and, and even the sacraments, uh, you know, Eucharist, uh, where did those fall in? I think that I could answer both of those questions are, are, are deep questions, right? And, but let me answer the one about the buildings first. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we'll ever be, we won't have buildings. I don't think we'll ever get to that point that there are no buildings. I, I think it is now part of not only just like the church, the Episcopal church or whatever denomination, I think it's also part of us as a society. I mean, think about it when there is a tragic event that happens, we all want to gather somewhere and hold little candles. We all want to go to a church. We all want to go to a space that's been set aside for that purpose, right? And I also think that like these gatherings of the smaller churches that come together can also be in a church. So I, I think we'll always have a church building. I just think we won't be as limited by a church building. Hmm. And, and this takes us back before, you know, Constantine 312, uh, we were churches, We our churches met in catacombs. We met in small homes. We met in, this is how our, our tradition began. This isn't something, oddly enough, something completely new. It's just sort of going back to that. I, I think we don't need to be afraid of stepping outside of the building to do church outside of the building. If, if, if you and I have a conversation and we happen to be at your house and 
you're you're talking about what's really important to you, what is caring for you, what what drives you, where God is in your life. That is very much church right there. So I think we need to perhaps expand what our definition of the church is, uh, and certainly beyond the building. What I think will be gone and are the smaller congregations perhaps that have like seven people on Easter Sunday. I know of such a congregation, right? Those exist. We're, we're a denomination that has more churches with 10 or fewer people than churches with 300 or more people. So I think a lot of those smaller congregations, we need to think about and be like, okay, could you be a better home church? And what that also invites us to do is like, what could we do with that building if, if it's not going to be... If, 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 or if the only time they gather is on Sunday morning, what else could we do with that building? Could we, and the church has long been a, an advocate for the arts, could we do a place for arts in communities where people can come and learn about the arts? The arts transcend words and are able to take us to a deeper spiritual place. Is it an opportunity for us to do other spiritual things there? Absolutely. Now, to your question of the sacraments, I am uh, a high church kind of guy. I, I am a sacramental person, but I also believe that it, when we come and we share our stories with each other, that those are the gifts. And when we then with each other look at those stories and then bring the word of God to those stories, that they are broken open and returned to us as different gifts. That is a Eucharistic sort of experience without it having to bread, be the bread and the wine. There will be a time for the bread and the wine. All I'm saying is that sharing our life stories with each other and asking the Holy Spirit to be present in that can also be a sort of Eucharistic approach to the way that we do church, even without the physical bread and wine. So I think that there's much to explore here. And by the way, the theology of all this is way, way beyond my pay grade. And I will let others uh, do that. I just try to be a little a little guy, I think of my my job as if you imagine an aircraft carrier group, right? And the church is a big aircraft carrier. I'm one of those little boats at the front that's looking for mines. And like, oh, let's go. Oh, no, don't go there. Well, let's go over here. That's sort of the, the role that I see uh, we're taking. Yeah. No, I, I, I find, a, you know, d d a more maybe expansive view of the church wherever two or three are gathered and there is sharing uh, and, and there's, uh, you know, an awareness of God's presence in that place. Uh, those are spaces where church is also happening. I find that really intriguing. Um, and it is good to know that buildings may be in our future, but I think it's sufficient to say that, you know, anyone could guess that it's going to be different, uh, especially with some smaller the generational change that I talk about in the video. I mean, that, that in and of itself is going to change us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe let's hop next into the do-it-yourself spirituality, which, you know, on first glance, you look at this and you're like, yeah, you know, we see so many variations of this. And I think you just said that, you know, we're, we're noticing this, where is it going to be in the future and what, what place is it going to hold in our own spiritual lives? Uh, you know, when I asked some folks from St. James about this particular question, something that came up was sort of you know what's the role of the individual in the community in in, in do-it-yourself spirituality because you know we we live in an age of uh, you know of disinformation and in at times harmful theologies are out there that people can uh, promote uh, maybe christian nationalism maybe there's white supremacy uh, and it's baked into these sort of christian uh, sorts of theologies 
you know, how, how can we protect against some of this disinformation and, uh, you know, within these spaces that can be highly individualized uh, while also making room for our own, you know, spiritual journeys, uh, because we are all individuals at the same time. Uh, so, so sort of a broader question, but I, I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I think, Stephen, I think the question answers itself. I think if we, the worst thing we could possibly do is not be in that sphere, right? If we know, right, because we're humans and we've seen it all throughout social media, that misinformation is going to be out there, then it behooves us to make sure that we are out there and we are present so that someone can go to a trusted source and, and check out the good information. I think the wrong answer would be like, let's have nothing to do with it and let that sort of work itself out because that's just not going to work for us. So I think the way that I see do-it-yourself spirituality it, it, it is for more entry level, right? Uh, so if someone, right, we have these two generations that are coming that have very little connection to the church. So they're unlikely to take us up and show up at the Cathedral St. James on a Sunday morning just because they saw an ad somewhere or they figure like, well, this is the Sunday I go back to church, right? And they're like, I don't even know what church is, but I'm going to just, it's like, that's, I mean, God works in mysterious ways. It could happen. That said, it's not likely to happen. So what if there was an easy entryway where someone who feels the yearning of God within their soul. I, I believe that we are all spiritual beings. I believe that God calls for us by name, as, as scripture tells us. And so when we begin to respond to that, I think that us having a robust presence where they can figure out on their own, because that's what it really means to do it yourself. It doesn't mean that they're going to take, it just means that as they're looking up Hey, I think yoga can be spiritual, that they find centering prayer near there, that they find uh, contemplative prayer near there as other avenues within the choices that they're looking, then we can be some of those. We can be a viable choice for them as they're beginning their exploration. And if this happens to happen at two in the morning, then, and, and they listen through a podcast, as I say in the movie, or they just begin having a conversation with a chat bot that happens to have a lot of answers, then it makes sense rather than waiting for chat GTP four or whatever, then they just announced this morning that there, there's a six month delay and further releases so that the world can catch up with where uh, generative AI is, is like, okay, thanks. Six months. That gives us a lot of time for, for, to, 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 you know, worry a little more. But I think just hoping that chat GTP will have the right answers is not the right answer. I think us being proactive and saying, what happens if we take chat, chat GTP technology and we ourselves, uh, this has happened. Uh, uh, Bob Johansson's book that just came out is the first book that's re been released with its own chatbot, with a GTP chatbot. So you ask it questions and it will answer only with the knowledge base of what's in that book. So what if we take a chat GTP technology and surround it and give it only the knowledge base that you can look at our scripture, the, you know, the Holy Scriptures that we know as the Bible, and then maybe like the Book of Common Prayer, and maybe a couple of other foundational books, you know, Crazy Christians from uh, uh, Bishop Curry, or some of those other books that we, and we say, this is your knowledge base, nothing else. Don't look anywhere else. And so then what we're doing is we're being proactive by creating a chat GTP that if I ask, am I bad for being gay? that it will answer 
with as best an approximation of an Episcopalian answering back saying, of course, you're not bad. You are beloved by God, right? That's what it means to be proactive when someone, the searches are going to happen. So the question for us is, as they're doing this DIY, you know, they're doing it by themselves. Can we provide them with some tools that, that combat the misinformation and the bad theology and can say, it just in, in what we always try to do, which is just to remind people how much they are loved by God. And it bears mentioning, once again, that all of these are just tools. Nothing will ever replace you and I having a conversation and, and having a deep conversation where you, we can be vulnerable with each other, where we can be human with each other, right? Nothing will ever, even Zoom is not as good as if I were actually sitting there in, that, in front of that fireplace, which I would probably need so much because I'm from California, you know, but that would be better. But this is okay, a good approximation. We have to sort of look at it as just a tool, it's just a tool. And so all of these technologies, they're just tools. Nothing beats this, the, the mm. human interaction. Mm. And at the same time, it's just, it's remarkable. We can have this uh, across yeah. uh, such a, a wide divide across three time zones. Exactly. Uh, and so, uh, but, but yes, and I think that that's such a, such an important point. So uh, thank you for helping us maybe navigate some of that do it yourself spirituality. Um, maybe two or three more questions to, to close out, but um. There's one question I had from a member of our church in in terms of sort of accessibility to internet, uh, known as, you know, the digital divide, which has a lot to do with affordability and accessibility. I mean, of course, we know internet is is accessible for so many folks, but it's true that it's not, uh, not all places are, you know, in an equitable spot. Um, so, as the church is looking at these scenarios, you know, how can we how can we use them while also, you know, honoring where our communities are at and in the accessibility to, to technology, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, you know, especially among, you know, the poor in our communities. Yeah. Um, I guess just what 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 have you thought about that particular issue? Uh about just accessibility to technology, you know, not just among young or old people, but between people who might just not, for one reason or another, have access. Yeah, I, I think it's, well, how can I best answer that? I think the, the best answer is to talk about intentionality. Uh, it reminds me of a story. Uh, there was a bishop in, in, in Latin America who was just passionate about the poor and always wanted to do the church is here to serve the poor, right? The preferential option for the poor that liberation theology talks about. And in every meeting that this bishop had, he would ask, how does this impact the poor? And it could have been a meeting about the air conditioning or the water system or any, but what he did by always asking that question is it made everyone around know, hey, the bishop's gonna ask this question, so we better have an answer. And all that that does is it makes it intentional that we're always thinking about the poor. So in everything that we're putting together, we're always thinking, how does this affect the poor? How do how do, can we better reach out, right? So you're absolutely right. It, it is possible that we... So if we are creating something, for example, for for the internet or a do-it-yourself or a chatbot or something, the chatbot would be on its own. Uh, we One of the ways we would be like intentional about making sure that the digital divide is minimized is by making sure that it was always accessible 
on cell phones because at least here in California, uh, the state provides cell phone and 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 uh, Wi-Fi technology for the poorest of the poor. Everybody can get, have a cell phone because we know that that's what you would call for emergencies. We know that that is just a necessity today. So if that is at least the sort of, at least here in California and every community might be different, but if that's sort of the, the baseline, if that's sort of where we want to make sure that we're reaching this line at least, then we know, okay, we, when we're creating a website, we need to make sure that it, it is uh, made to be really seen and enjoyed and uh, maximized on cell phones rather than just on a computer screen. If the, What that means is that if we're doing something for video, make sure that you're not making something so small that somebody watching it on a cell phone couldn't see what you're pointing out or what you're holding up, right? If I told you, well, haven't you been reading everything on my screen that I've been having here, you know, from this cup? Actually, it would have been this side, I suppose, right? But, you know, it's like, no, that you're, you're this small. You're a little ant on my screen. So having the intentionality of if we're creating so that everyone can exit so I, I think that being intentional about it, but that goes beyond just uh, just technology for do-it-yourself or or for for what we as church do. I think we always, you know, we're we're becoming more and more a cashless society. Uh, yeah, we know 18% of the population in the United States has no banking relationship. They have no access to a banking relationship, which is why. Uh, cash uh, stores, you know, the check processing stores charge so much and why they take advantage of the poorest of the poor, where we need to start thinking about as we're going less and less, uh, more, less in cash, we, where do we as a society answer that question? How do we make sure that they are not left behind, right? And that's a place for the church also to have a conversation. There are now two dioceses within the, the, the Episcopal Church that have their own credit unions reaching out to people that may not have banking relationships to make sure that they are not taken advantage of by the check cashing stores and all the other people or or a loan for a car, used car, or whatever the, the needs might be. So those are proactive and what I, I think that also points out is when we talk about innovation, we're not just talking about technology. We're talking about a new way of doing something we've always done before, right? Something that creates, that allows us to live into our mission differently than we did before. And Martin Luther did this when he when he changed this so that we could sing the music, right? When we could all sing hymns in our own language and they were based on songs that were sung at bars, it's like that was an innovation of the time because it made it more something that we've always done. It was always in Latin, very high, you know, high high choir. It became choirs are great. Don't nothing against choirs. I love choirs. Choirs are amazing. But it made it so that people could sing and these drunken songs where they already knew the tunes. It's like that was an innovation, right? So there's always been sort of innovation. The creed. I remember, uh, and I'm not name dropping here, but I was having a conversation with a bishop. A certain Archbishop of Canterbury. Anyways, no, but he and and the Archbishop was like, well, you know, when the creed came out, that was an innovation. That was the first time that we put all of our beliefs into one. That was we had been doing something, and now we're doing it differently. So innovation can be nothing to do with technology. It can just be about how do we do new things. So I think being intentional about always. I'm glad that someone in your congregation asked that question. Because it's an important question. How do we as a church make sure that we're never leaving anyone behind? How do we as a church always make sure that we're embracing as many of God's people? That's an important question to have. Hmm. Amen. Uh, well, oh, I'm a preacher now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, you know, 
something that I personally have really enjoyed about, uh, you know, the video and, and Tritank's overall work is just there sort of seems to be a theology of play here as well, where, you know, there's an openness to trying new things. Uh, and, and that has very much to do with our tradition. Um, so I want to thank you for initiating this conversation. Uh, you know, when I first saw the video, I watched it and I didn't even realize it was from an Episcopal group, which uh, when I realized that it, it was... I think, uh, you know, there was a connection uh, there for me within my own tradition, thinking about, you know, using these tools for a present and future ministry. Um, so maybe one final question, if we have time, is, uh, you know, on your website, you feature what you call uh, experiments, uh, which yes. very much has to do, I think, with this sort of idea of, of play. Uh, there are, if I count correctly, maybe some sort of uh, 80 current experiments with partners from 28 states across uh, three different countries. And, and I'll just name a few. Uh, Metaverse Church, which creates a prototype Episcopal digital community that is sacramental and constantly inviting people to an in-person congregation as well. Uh, another experiment is using AI to spot unconscious bias by a congregation to combat to combat uh, systemic social injustices. And then there's some master classes and prayer resources. But um, I, you know, I, I guess I would just ask, you know, for in general for churches like ours, you know, who might be wondering if how we might experiment. You know, what sort of advice would you give to churches who are you know, looking to maybe take a step in, in in sort of some of these realms that you've talked about, but are maybe unsure where to start. Uh, that's a that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, it's it's always start in prayer. I, I know that sounds that could be like a, a, a just a, a sort of seems like a just a trite blow off answer, but it's not. It, it really should be always about Holy Spirit. Where are you calling us, Holy Spirit? How can we co create with you? And, and just ask the Holy Spirit to point out some things. I always, so here's the thing. When we in the church try to do new things. So let's say, for example, we're like, oh, we need to reach young people. Yeah, we need to reach. So a whole bunch of really well-meaning people like you're, well, you don't have the gray hair, but but you are, you know, we would gather around a table and all of us with gray hair would be like, uh, how do we reach young people? I know we should build them a, a skate park. Yeah, that I've seen those youngins uh, on skates. Let's let's build them a skate park or something. And then we would go out and build a skate park and spend like $20,000 building a skate park. And then we'd be like, well, no one's showing up to a skate park. What happened? We're like, well, did we find out if there were young people around us, first of all? Because if you're in Palm Springs and you're trying to reach a whole bunch of young people, well, it's going to be hard in a retirement community to reach a whole bunch of young people. I mean, you can find them, but they're usually here visiting their grandparents. So it's like, did we do the research to find out if they're there? Did we do the research to find out if there are young people what are they like? What are they into these days? What are they, where, where are they finding their spirituality? Where are their spiritual needs that, that, that we can sort of serve that through things that are authentically ours? And those are the questions. So I always say my, our process at TriTank, and it, it's, I put it together in a book. I'm not pushing my own book, but you know, there, there's called How to Try. And the three steps are, you don't have, you don't have to buy the book. Here, here's the three steps, right? It's the, you always begin with the insight. You begin by figuring out what's out there, what's working, what's not working, what, what are others doing? You know, we don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Well, then once you sort of know 
what's out there and something just, and this is where prayer is important. Something just speaks to you. It's like, oh, that is so much like our church. We totally need to be doing something like that. And we're like, oh yeah, we totally should be doing something. Like that. Then, so you've done the insights, the research, you, you sort of have that. And then you go to the ideas parts. Like, okay, how do we make it ours? In our context, how does something like this work? And you, there are many methods of coming up with ideas and, and how do you do it? How do you make an idea better? How do you meet people where they are? All these sorts of things. And then the third step is you go out and you try it. So you do research, you come up with ideas, and then you go out and try it. And, but with the trying, you don't do, you don't go out and, you know, build a skate park. You go out and figure out what's the minimum viable prototype that we can build. So test whether or not there's a there there. So if we're going to do, let's say that you all, you know, that that this group got together and decided what we're going to do is we're going to do a contemporary service for young people. I keep hearing about these and we think that there's young people around us and we've seen some of the other contemporary service. We're going to do our own. Oh, great. Uh, and you come up with the ideas. We're going to have this band. We're going to perfect. Sounds amazing. In the trying, what you would figure out is like, what's the easiest way that we can try this without having to bet the farm as it were. So maybe you begin with one service and you do just one service and you just try it out because you need to make sure, do we have a way of getting to the young people to let them know that the service exists? Is it really meeting their needs? Can we ask them questions after they come to the one service? You know, so you try to build everything for one. And then afterwards, not only do you evaluate it on that, did we get enough people? But you also ask yourself, is that who we are? Is that what we want to keep, what we want to keep doing? Is that authentically who we at the Cathedral St. James are, right? And then you're like, okay, that's that sounds about right. Now we can do it more. We figured out you know, how it works, but that's a cool part about a minimum viable prototype. You only said, we're gonna do just one. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to commit to doing it forever between now and when Jesus comes back. We just have to do one time and figure out if it works. And that's, I think, how we try. And, and I would just finish with this on, on that, is make sure that you're okay if you fail, because, uh, we're actually now closer to 90 experiments. I need to update the website. Thanks for reminding me of that. But we're now closer to 90 experiments and we have failed uh, with about 80 of those. And you could look at it. If I were in baseball, I would have been fired by now, right? It's like, uh, I don't know whether or not that's good or bad in baseball. I'm I'm, I'm using analogies of sports that I just don't know. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but I can, you know, if if, I, if these were sales calls or something, you know, people would be like, ooh, that's not a good, good record. But when you're in this work of experimentation and trying new things, it really is about being okay with failure. And so being okay with like, okay, we tried it, it didn't work. Now what? Let's try something else. Rather than, oh, we tried it, it didn't work, we broke the church, right? Now we need to go back. It's like, oh, I don't think we're going to break the church. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we just remember and um, that the failure is a part of it. And as a, when a friend of mine was being ordained, uh, there was this British priest who had come over from the UK to preach at her ordination. And at one point, it was so amazing. He just turns to her. He gives this amazing and passionate uh, a sermon about what the role of the priest is in the world and just beautiful for all. And then he turns to her and says, Mary, go out and try with abandon because smarter people than you have tried to kill the church and were unable to do so. So you trying your best will never harm it. So go, go and do it. So that I've always taken, maybe I took it a little too, too hard that I, that I now I'm in this role, but it's like, yeah, let us just go out and keep trying new things because as long as we're doing it faithfully, and that's why in all of this is faithful innovation. We're just trying to be true to our call and to follow the Holy Spirit. Mm. 
Well, I, for one, uh, thank you for your role in this in the Episcopal Church and really the church at large as we explore what the future of technology is as, uh, you know, every day, it seems like something, uh, something new is out there uh, with, uh, with the AI or social media. And, and, and these questions are just beginning uh, yeah. for us in the church. And uh, so thank you for, you know, your time uh, for all the work you do at Tritank. And uh, we here at the cathedral will be, uh, you know, prayerfully considering what our role is in the future of, of this conversation. So, uh, Thank you, Reverend Labriha, and uh, let's talk again. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And if you guys, as you're as you're all thinking new ways, if you just want a conversation partner, I would be happy to join you, whether in person or via Zoom live, to just answer some questions live of, from the congregants and others as you're thinking of new ways of being church in the world. I would be happy to do that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank we'll you. do it.